You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Troy, host of the American Revolution Podcast on the Airwave Media Network. This podcast is the origin story of the United States, how we went from colonies ruled by a king to the democratic republic that we have today. The American Revolution Podcast tells the story of the revolution from beginning to end. Please subscribe for free. We're available on all major podcast platforms. I hope you will join me today on the American Revolution Podcast. Before you listen to the episode, stop what you're doing and go subscribe to the podcast YouTube channel. You can find the link to that in the description below. Also, go follow the podcast on Instagram. You know you want to. This episode does contain some content that could be deemed uncomforting. If you need to step away and then come back to the episode, please do so. Take care of yourself. Are you in a room right now? Are you comfortable? How big is that room? How much space do you have? Can you stand up, twirl around? Well, imagine living in a space that's a bit smaller than a basic coffin. It's hard to even think about, right? Well, that's what Harriet Jacobs did for seven years. Seven years. I'm Andre, and this is the story of Harriet Jacobs. Welcome to the Redacted History Podcast. Now, how did Harriet get here? Harriet Jacobs wasn't a name that I knew. I was talking to my mom one day and she mentioned her and how she escaped slavery. And I wanted to learn more about her. Harriet's story was so unbelievable, I wanted to share it with you. So, let's dive in. Harriet Jacobs was born into slavery in Edenton, North Carolina on February 11th, 1813. I've lived in North Carolina for the last 17 years, and I've never heard of Edenton. I was surprised to learn that Edenton was the first colonial capital of North Carolina until 1743. It is also well known for the Edenton Tea Party. The Edenton Tea Party was held in 1774, and most people talk about the Boston Tea Party, but the Edenton Tea Party was important to North Carolina at the time because a group of women sent a letter to King George in protest of the Tea Act of 1773. Fifty women from the small town of Edenton took a stand against the king and refused to drink tea or use British goods. Back then, their actions were seen as an act of treason, but... These women didn't care. I won't get too deep into the Edenton Tea Act or the Edenton Tea Party, but just know it was significant to North Carolina's colonial history. And if y'all want an episode on this event, just let me know. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress, Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire, enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty, and about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today and join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode where I'd like to tell you a story. 
Let's get back to Harriet. Interestingly enough, when Harriet wrote about her childhood, she recalled how the early years were actually a happy time and that she wasn't treated like all the other slaves. She said her mistress protected her and she never felt like a piece of property. Harriet's mother died in 1819 when she was still a little girl. Harriet was then sent to live in the home of the woman her mother worked for, and she was treated pretty well there too. During a time in North Carolina where it was illegal for masters to teach slaves to read and write, Harriet's new owner taught her how to do both, and she spent several years as a relatively happy little girl, all things considered. Unfortunately, that happiness didn't last. The mistress died in 1825, and a then 12-year-old Harriet had her life head in a completely different direction, one that she could have never imagined. When the mistress died, ownership of Harriet was transferred to her niece, a woman named Mary Norcombe. At the time, Mary was only five years old, so her father, Dr. James Norcombe, took on the responsibility of being Harriet's master. Shortly after she got to the Norcombe's house, Harriet's father died. Living in the Norcombe house was the beginning of Harriet's nightmare. One of Harriet's biggest protectors was her grandmother, especially after her parents died. Her grandmother was respected and treated fairly by most of the people on the plantation. She had worked for the same woman for many years, and when that woman died, Harriet's grandmother was promised her freedom. More on that later. When Harriet was 15, Dr. Norcombe started making passes at her and trying to have sex with her and sexually assault her. He would whisper disgusting and nasty words in Harriet's ear and try to get her alone. In Harriet's book, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, Harriet described how Norcombe started stalking her. She wrote, My master met me at every turn, reminding me that I belonged to him and swearing by heaven and earth that he would compel me to submit to him. Everywhere she went, Norcombe was there. Harriet's bright and happy disposition changed to a dark, sad one. The other slaves could see the difference too, but there was no need to ask if she was okay. They all knew the problem and couldn't do anything about it to protect Harriet. Harriet wanted to tell her grandmother what was going on, but she was afraid her grandmother would retaliate against Norcombe and get herself in trouble or killed. Norcombe didn't know this though, and Harriet knew that if her grandmother was to make his pursuit of Harriet public, that it would damage his reputation as a decent man and doctor, and he would not let that happen. His wife was aware of what was happening, so her suspicions were a protection of sorts for Harriet. Norcombe tried everything he could. He found out Harriet could read, so he started writing her notes. Of course, Harriet played dumb as if she couldn't read. Always trying to think ahead, Norcombe started forcing Harriet to come to his office, thinking that he would get his way with her if they were away from the plantation and his wife. One day, Harriet threatened to tell her grandmother what was happening, and Norcombe told her he would kill her if she told. Harriet didn't take this threat lightly. Now, I don't know if Norcombe's wife thought he was actually sleeping with Harriet, but her suspicions led her to get Harriet alone and force her to swear on the Holy Bible that she would tell her the truth if she asked her questions. Harriet swore on the Bible and told Norcombe's wife everything that had happened and everything he tried to do to her. Although Harriet told the truth, Norcombe's wife didn't trust her. She even confronted Norcombe in front of Harriet and told him she knew everything. Of course, Norcombe denied everything, and that just made things worse for Harriet. His wife would have normally whipped Harriet just for existing, but Norcombe refused to let anyone punish her. That was probably the only humane thing he ever did. 
Despite Norcom's awful watchful eye, Harriet met and fell in love with a free black man named William. Of course, Norcom was enraged when he learned of the relationship and this free black man's desire to marry Harriet. He even offered to buy Harriet so she could be free to marry him. And that was the first time Norcom ever hit her. Harriet knew that Norcom would never sell her and she was afraid he might kill them both. So she encouraged her love, William, to leave and move to a free state where he could live as a free man. And he left. After William left, Harriet knew she had to do something. Norcom's wife didn't want Harriet around him, so he planned to have a cottage built about four miles from the plantation, far enough that his wife didn't have to see her and close enough for him to keep his eye on her. Harriet had no plans of moving to that cottage. She heard that a kind white lawyer named Samuel Sawyer had taken an interest in her. She made friends with Sawyer, a man who didn't treat her like a slave. Harriet eventually formed a bond with Sawyer and they built a relationship. She thought if she had children with him, Norcom would be pissed and sell her. Unfortunately, the plan didn't work. When the cottage was built, Norcom ordered Harriet to go there, but she refused and told him she was pregnant. Telling him meant she had to tell her grandmother before someone else did. When she told her grandmother, everything went wrong. Her grandmother was angry and kicked her out of the house and told her to never come back. Harriet left and walked several miles until she walked to the home of a woman who was friends with her mother. She told the woman everything she had been through and told her how much she wanted to speak to her grandmother and beg her for forgiveness. Now, Harriet's book doesn't say how much time passed between Harriet getting to the friend's house and her grandmother coming to see her, but the grandmother did eventually come. Harriet told everything she had been through all those years living on Norcom's plantation and how her desperation to get away from him led her to where she was at that time, pregnant and alone. Harriet's grandmother eventually forgave her and she was welcomed back into her grandmother's home. Her grandmother talked to Mr. Sawyer and he promised to take care of his child and Harriet. He wanted to buy her, but of course, that was easier said than done. Norcom assured Harriet that he would never sell her, no matter what. Harriet details the birth of her first child and how sick both she and her baby were for the first year of his life. In the midst of everything she was going through, Nat Turner's rebellion broke out in August of 1831, and Harriet described the experience she and other slaves went through during that time. Side note, Nat Turner was an enslaved preacher who led a four-day rebellion where he led a team of at least 70 enslaved and free black people through Southampton, Virginia, going from house to house, freeing slaves, and killing the white people they encountered along the way. They killed about 50 to 65 white people, but that's a story for another day. Okay, back to Harriet. Once Harriet gave birth, she didn't return to Norcom's home for a long time. His wife had threatened to kill her if she ever went back. He came to see her often, just to scream at her and threaten to kill her. That's how jealous he was of another man fathering her child. He was beside himself with anger when he found out she was pregnant again. This time, Harriet gave birth to a daughter. Her heart broke for her daughter because male slaves were treated horribly. But sometimes for female slaves, it was a different story. A story just like Harriet was experiencing right now. Not long after her daughter was born, a slaveholder from Texas offered to buy Harriet. He offered top dollar for her, but Norcom refused to sell her. He lied and said he didn't have the power to sell her because technically he didn't own her. We know that was a lie. He could have done it, but he didn't. At some point, 
Dr. Norcom got tired of being rejected, so he gave Harriet an ultimatum. She could either give in to him or she could take her children and move to his son's plantation where they would be treated like any other slaves and her children would be raised to work on the plantation and eventually be sold. Harriet agreed to go to the plantation, but because of unforeseen circumstances with the children being sick, they ended up staying with her grandmother for several years. Harriet got to see them as much as she could. Most of the time, she snuck out late at night to visit them and made it back by morning. During this time, Harriet was devising a plan to escape and she was trying to make sure everything was in order for her children before she made any real moves. One day, she learned that Norcom planned to send her children to the plantation, and Harriet knew it was time to make her move. She knew that if Norcom thought she had run away, he would leave the children with her grandmother. She escaped about 12.15 that night and stopped at her grandmother's home. A friend of the family named Sally had lived with her grandmother for several years, and she let Harriet in. Harriet told her about Norcom's plans to bring her children to the plantation and that she was running away, and she didn't want to tell her anything more because she didn't want her to be involved. Harriet quickly visited her children and left. The next day, a $300 reward was announced for Harriet's capture and return. Initially, Harriet hid at a friend's home for more than a week. She was able to safely get messages to her relatives to let them know she was okay, and they begged her to return to the plantation and beg for forgiveness. Harriet vowed to die before she went back, and she almost did. One night, she was bitten by a poisonous snake, and she was forced to get help from her family. They suggested reaching out to a white woman who had been friends with her grandmother for many years, someone they knew could be trusted. The woman agreed to help Harriet, and she hid Harriet in an attic room where no one would find her. While Harriet was hiding at this woman's house, Norcom threw her aunt and children in jail. He thought that would force Harriet to return. William sent Harriet a message and begged her not to come out of hiding, so she waited and stayed hidden. They were in jail for 60 days. Toward the end of their time in jail, Norcom put William and the kids up for sale, and Mr. Sawyer secretly purchased them. They went back to live with Harriet's grandmother, and that was the first time Harriet felt any sense of true happiness. She wrote, she wrote, whatever slavery might do to me, it could not shackle my children. If I fell a sacrifice, my little ones were saved. Norcom didn't give up his search for Harriet, and her safety and her current hiding spot was in jeopardy. Harriet made another plan to escape. Initially, she was going to travel by boat. She had help getting to the boat, but she got deathly sick while at sea. The decision was made for her to return to her grandmother's house where a hiding space was created. Harriet hid in a tiny crawl space above a porch on her grandmother's house. The space was only nine feet long and seven feet wide, and the three-foot-high ceiling had a slope in it so Harriet could barely move, let alone turn over or stretch out. This crawl space didn't have any light and there was barely any ventilation. Can you imagine how extremely hot and suffocating it must have felt in there? Harriet's family snuck food to her through a trap door in the crawl space, and she spent time watching her children play in the yard and people pass on the street. She snuck out of the crawl space some nights to go into the storeroom and stretch and move around and get air. Since she could barely move in the crawl space, she spent a lot of time in one position and was wreaking havoc on her limbs. While Harriet was taking refuge in a crawl space in her grandmother's home, important changes occurred. Mr. Sawyer was elected to Congress and spent some time in Washington. He took William with him. And while they were away, William hooked up with some abolitionists and decided to join them in their fight to free slaves. Mr. Sawyer got married and brought his wife back with him. He did free Harriet's children and decided it was best for them to leave the South so Norcom could not harm them. Her daughter was sent to Brooklyn, but her son was still living with her grandmother for the time being. 
After seven years of living in the crawl space and watching her children grow up, her daughter left and Harriet became restless. Her aunt died and that was her sign. Her aunt had always encouraged Harriet to fight to be free, so she knew she had to leave. With her friend Peter's help, in 1842, Harriet and another enslaved woman named Fanny boarded a ship and escaped to Philadelphia. Harriet eventually left Philadelphia and went to New York City to find her daughter. Harriet spent at least 10 years on the run as a fugitive slave. She details some of her experiences in her book, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl. I wish I had time to tell you what happened once she got to New York. I might save that for a part two. Until next time. If you like what we do here at the Redacted History Podcast, consider going over to Patreon and supporting us there. Patreon.com forward slash blackout. And that could be found in the description below.